0: hello i'm jess
1: and i'm jocelyn
0: welcome to the chicas who read podcast where we discuss films and texts and shows. <laughs> Hello.
1: What's up? It's been a while. It's been a couple months. Uh, Sorry. I guess we're gonna get an
0: update on quarantine life. Okay. What have you been up to, Jocelyn, since quarantine uh, started? Since have you been watching a lot of Drag Race? You know I have. <laughs> <laughs> I mean,
1: been rewatching old seasons, new New Canada. He's in, I don't know if I'm going to watch the Holland, because I couldn't watch Thailand. Mostly because I couldn't get the jokes, because, you know, I had to read everything, so.
0: where did you capture the Thailand one? Uh, I don't remember.
1: Okay, offline.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Probably (laughs) some (laughs) bootleg (laughs) sites. That don't gotta be offline.
1: (laughs) (laughs) On the, I don't know, that Tumblr page that posts, um. Oh, wait, no, I don't think they did posted just, Thailand. Uh, I don't know, I think I just saw, like, the they, they had the first episode free. Yeah, Where? Well, on, on YouTube? I think, um, yeah. And then I tried to watch it, and I was like, oh, I can't do this.
0: <laughs> um, Follow-up on the list of shows that we talked about, Um, I watched the second season of Rami, and I kind of liked it, but towards the end, I, like, I did not like it. And... I remember talking to you about it, but you said you hated it. I hated the second season. And I want to know more. Honestly, it's been a while. I watched it whenever it... I, didn't fin- I couldn't finish
1: the season because I just got so disgusted with like his action. Disgusted. Yeah, honestly, it was a little just... I was not into it. It was not funny anymore. Um, I originally enjoyed the first season because, it, one, it was really funny. And I got to know this aspect of Muslim culture that I was not, you know, haven't ever been exposed to. So I thought that was really interesting. But then, I don't know, I think it just took really weird turns. And, um,
0: yeah. Yeah. At first I didn't see it when you were telling me because I was just, like, so happy that I had more content to watch because I really loved the first season. It was really good. And then, like, towards the end, I started seeing it. After you talked to me about it, I was like, "Oh my god! Like she's right. Like he's like, Rami's become this very unlikable person." That too, yeah. If I don't like, I like the main character, and that's why I kept watching it. And his family was like all right, but it's mainly about him, you know. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up just like really hating him. He was so annoying. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that was the demise of of season two because. I mean, you can have an unlikable character and still have the show be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even, you can hate the main character, but still have him be intriguing enough to want to keep watching the show. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I just I don't, I don't think the show is funny enough for me to keep going. Because you can have, a, um, like I said, an unlikable character, but if he's funny or yeah. doing something um, that keeps me interested and invested then I'll keep watching the show. Yeah. But if you sell me originally on something and then don't deliver on the second season, then it's not a good second season. Then
0: you're going to walk out. Yeah. You're going to walk out the store. You didn't buy shit. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I, yeah, because I think that you can make a character unlikable and still make him interesting. Yeah. But I think with Rami, the thing that happened was that he just became... I don't know. He beca- I think they were trying to say too much with his, his like, anguish and his internal, um, anyway, we don't have to continue talking <laughs> about Rami because this is not a Rami podcast, <laughs> but um, he became, like, really unlikable. It, it was a lot of just, like, his inner choices.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It was all about choices, and, like, that's boring, yeah. you know? I don't know. Especially if you can't relate. So what we're actually gonna talk about today is
1: "Singing from the Well" by Ronaldo Arena, our long-awaited
0: episode.
1: <laughs> have, we, have we? By talked only about... us,
0: we haven't oh, talked okay. about recording. Sorry, this. Yeah. Have we? I
1: don't even know. know. No, we talked about recording um, "Gloria en Did we? Did we do an episode?
0: No. The <laughs> 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 <We're>... worst. <laughs> We're the worst hosts ever in podcast history. Listen, sorry, um, Jocelyn just graduated from Yay! university, uh, which is amazing. Thank you. Um, and life has been very hard and busy for me, so uh, we haven't been on top of our game so far. I think after, after our third episode, we just weren't able to keep up for a while. Yeah, because I was really busy with school. Yeah, but we're back. And we are committed, uh because yeah, now I graduated, and I ain't
1: got nothing to do
0: <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> a, and it's covid time yeah um but we'll we'll work harder to uh get episodes out because we we have content planned, it's just
3: life happens,
0: yeah, life happens, and forgive us. <laughs> We're back anyway. So um, we've been wanting to record uh, an episode over this book called Singing from the Well. For about a year now. It's been a year? Yeah. We've read it twice. Well, kind of. I read it twice.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Yeah, we can get into it. So the way this book is, it doesn't really follow a linear structure. So the first time I... Started reading it I kind of had a really hard time getting into it because I was reading a lot of other texts that just had that was a, just based on facts so it was very structured in that way and so this really doesn't it just follows I guess the young boys so none of these people have names <laughs> <laughs> except for one <laughs> Um and that's his cousin Okay, and this is, hold on. This is my off-record question. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Did you know that he was dead? Did you get that
0: by the end of the book? Celestino was dead? Yeah. I, okay, so that's what I was wondering. That was one of my questions. So, okay, let's talk about it on the record. Because I think that's a very important question. So, this book, it has... Five characters? Mm-hmm. Five characters. You have a whole bunch of, like, made-up fairyland, like, fucking, char- like, witches and elves and shit, but it's, they're not permanent throughout the whole story. It's of this young boy who narrates this story, and there's just one character who has a name who's his cousin named Celestino, and um, you have the other characters are his grandfather, his grandmother, and his mother, and they're all, like called by their by their um, titles and then of course you like those are the main characters and then you have like other little characters that join like the ants and whatever and they have names there's throughout so the book is like about this kid living his life in Cuba and at some point his cousin Celestino moves in with him and he's just getting into trouble with his cousin. He has very abuse, like a very abusive grandfather, a very abusive grandmother. A negl- Would you say she, the mother, was neglectful, or she was like, like tough love? Like, what would you say the mother?
1: Was I think like? she was neglectful. I think she was very passive in her actions. Because um, I think of them well, relating it to my mother. If my mother saw somebody my grandparents treating me the way his grandparents did, you know, she would definitely step up. hmm
0: Um,
1: so yeah, I think it was
0: neglectful in that way. Yeah. She was also, I think she was also like clinically depressed or something. Oh, like yeah. she was going through some shit, and I would not, I would not be surprised considering the parents that she had, and like the life that she's living in. So, the, the premise of the book is like, yeah, it's, it's, this boy narrating his life, living in a mountain in Cuba, and in
1: Castro's Cuba.
0: So. And yeah, and he, um,
1: and in the poorer side of Cuba, so it's not like mm-hmm. Havana or anything. It's like the Oriented Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's like the really
1: bad part of Cuba.
0: It's the more like the, the one that lacks more in resources. Yeah, and he lives in the mountains with his family. Um, and he has to, he has to, like, contend with, like, his family's hatred for him and, like, his childhood, like, imagination and life at the same time, like, um, so that's really what you get in the book is, and I think that that's what you were referring to, or, like, that's what you had talked about is like it's a nonlinear book because it's told from the perspective of a child. Um, that goes in and out with like
1: reality and fantasy and his imagination of how he sees things or how he wants to see things. Which I think is a lot of the way that kids see things because that's why I said I had a lot of feelings when I read this book. Because um, it reminded me just a lot of childhood and I grew up as a poor kid. Uh and not really realizing that I was a poor kid up until like you know I grew up and became an adult and knew the poverty levels and according to u s uh um, like income levels or whatever we we were po- we were in that uh poverty line so but yeah, as a kid i you know, I, thought of, I still think of the world of my mom, and I didn't think I was missing anything because she filled our lives with just a lot of love and affection. And I don't think Celestino got that. And so I think he had to, like, live in another world for him to envision his Because I related uh, a lot of the ways he saw his mom were kind of similar thoughts that I had about my dad because I didn't grow, grow up with my dad. So I always imagined like him being in my life and teaching me how to play guitar because he knows how to play guitar and teaching me how to uh, how to draw because he knew how to, he would always like send us drawings and stuff like that. So in the same way that he saw his mom being like loving and really caring for him, you know, is the, why it made me emotional reading the book because I would, that's
0: how I thought as a
1: child thinking about my father.
0: Yeah, it's crazy because like. He has his mom there, and, like, he sees these both sides of his mom, like, this neglectful, um, very bossy, mean side of his mom. But then you have parts where, like, she will sing to him to bed or, like, tell stories to him. And so she, like, sees the—he sees the good side of her um, and, like, hangs on to that so tightly. And, um, he, like, thinks of her just as that, but uh, you said Celestino's mother. Are you... Okay, so you conflated Celestino and the narrator, the child narrator, together. Do you think Celestino is the kid? Like... Oh, okay, so I just read that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God.
1: Because <laughs> I had questions. Me too. Yeah, so I had to look that one up because, honestly, it was very confused at the end of the book because I, I did get that Celestino had died But, so I was just confused as to when his death was, if it was like prior Mm -hmm. to him envisioning him, like this whole time that we were reading the book, was he already dead? Or did he die at the end of the book when it like starts talking about Celestino's death? Or was it a figurative death within his imagination? So I had to look it up and yes. So he was a dead cousin that used to write poetry
2: Mm.
1: And he, uh, um, Renaldo Arenas is a like, younger version, envisioned himself, or his other self, as Celestino.
0: Mm. Oh my god, okay. Because when I, so Celestino, there's like parts in the book where the boy, like, the boy, talks about Celestino, but then they're like, there's like times where they have dialogue, and it's like, you can't tell who says what or there's like times where they do things and you can't tell who does what and there's this moment and i did a little tab here but i put a lot of tabs in my book so i don't know where to find whatever it is that i'm looking for but there's a part in the book where they're like in a dream or something they're both dreaming or they both see like some sort of big spider or something um that's a spirit or like some sort of imaginary thing, and they both see the same thing, or, like, they both have the same dream, or communicate in a dream. Yeah. So when I read things like that, I was, like, okay, is Celestino the boy? Like,
2: mm-hmm.
0: is this, like, a different dimension type thing? Or, um, is, is Celestino, like, a, another part of himself? Yeah, Which is, like, crazy that and I'm, like, so happy you read that, because that was one of my questions. It was, what the fuck is (laughs) Celestino? who is Celestino? because yeah yeah, he's just this like little boy who um the main narrator's cousin who writes poetry on trees and like I think one of them we only you never know in the book what he writes on trees you just Mm -hmm. know that he writes on trees but there's this one part in the book where it says that um fuck I wish I remembered the quote but it was something along the lines of like one day I will find my mom or, like, something like that, something with family. Mm-hmm. And his grandfather, his uh, grandmother would get mad when he would ride on trees or, like, carve in trees, um, and they would cut them down. And so that's the, like, that's the recurring action in the book is, like, the grandfather going after them because he would, like, write on trees or he would – they would just, like, be kids and – and um los castigaban, like, they would just ground them, not ground yeah. them, but they would, like, punish them yeah. for that.
1: Like, threaten them with the machete. Yeah, or, the, at, the the hatchet, hatchet yeah. yeah,
0: and there's, like, a lot of imagery in this book that I find really interesting, like, um, there's a part where, where um, the boy is, like, talking about this, like, dilapidated ass house that he lives in like it's a shithole right there's Mm -hmm. like a hole in the roof that little that chickens like shit through like there's a A corner of the house where there's a wasp nest over it and there's like all these vines and there's these little tulips growing in the corner that collect water in them and he's like this is my favorite part of the house this is my favorite part of the house because I have to sit very still under this wasp nest so they don't sting me but it's the only place I can find stillness in my house and like I feel like that gives you a good enough idea of like how shitty this boy's life was and how much he had to live outside of his life, like in his imagination for him to be able to survive, right? Um, And like he, that's where I was getting like, maybe Celestino is like a figment of his imagination or like, is Celestino real, is Celestino him, like there's a lot of questions and there's a lot of flexibility of like who Celestino can be because of the way, the time he's introduced in the book. Yeah, which I love, but it's also very confusing.
1: Yeah, no, yeah, I think you have to uh, not be in the right state of mind, but definitely kind of know what you're getting into. Because that—that's the reason I couldn't finish the book in the first place. Was because I, I couldn't follow it. I was just very confused in the beginning. Yeah, and maybe you do need a second read to. And now I just do kind of want to reread it from that perspective of like knowing Celestino is. Uh, a part of a part of himself because all those times that people are calling Celestino names and you know Mm -hmm. all of that is is basically himself and just trying to remove himself from that situation so he doesn't feel that ache so because it's really heartbreaking how they talk about Celestino in the book
0: yeah and Celestino is just this very like passive character who just lets I guess I wouldn't say let but like doesn't stand up for himself a lot of these bad things happen to him and he doesn't open up with anyone but he accepts like he accepts the role that he plays in his family but unapologetically does whatever the fuck he wants mm-hmm. um which is like a interesting uh, duality to have I guess but um there's like parts in the book where they're always like creating these like dreamlands like in one of in one of the parts um so it, there's like a lot of like imagination involved in this um there's like some part there's this one part where they're like building this castle do you remember that mm-hmm. where they're building this like sand castle and then the book jumps into like them living in the castle yeah. and like walking over the moat or something yeah. like and I think that like, was
1: the most fun they had in that in the book.
0: Yeah, there th- it's those moments where they're like creating their imaginary worlds that they're um, they're contributing to each other's happiness and like creating this dreamland that they both can live in happily. Um,
1: but then they get shunned out in the end after they like help build this castle and then they will, they they're not allowed to get in.
0: Yeah, so like that's another thing too it's like they're not completely in control of their dreams it their their dreams are also informed by their own realities yeah. and like in so when you t- talk about that it makes me think of the end too when they're like so first of all <laughs> this book reyna gone like really um played a game on on everybody with this book it's like a little bit hard to follow because of this like going in and out of fantasy world and real life. But even then, with Celestino being dead at a different time in the book, like, you even question the whole, like, yeah. the whole chron- chronological order of the of the fucking, the whole ass book. Like, it just <laughs> makes no sense. But it's, it's, like, in a good way. It, this <laughs> yeah. is a really great book. Like, I recommend it to everyone. It's one of my yeah. favorite books. Um, but Celestino... Wait, what was I getting at? Bro, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, you know I can go into my thoughts because you're talking about just um,
1: the, the heartbreak in this book, or, or kind of. Anyways, what I wanted to say <laughs> was that this book is, is called the Patagonia series. It's the first book of the Patagonia series, and translated, it's called The Five Agonies. So, technically, this is the first of the Five Agonies. But yeah, if if you think about it in that way, it's like whoa, because I I really didn't think too much about like it being book one of like the, the Patagonia series.
2: Like mm-hmm. I was just like,
1: oh okay. But yeah, it's just like these are five agonies that he's felt throughout his lifetime, and this is basically how he felt as as a youth growing up in as a poor kid in Cuba.
0: Yeah, I and mean, he Arenas had a hard life. Um in real life like uh he um was exiled from cuba he was this queer man died from
3: aids so this is future editing jess and i realized that in this part i have made a mistake of um uh, i've mistakenly said how Reynaldo arenas dies and he does he is diagnosed with aids However, he does not die of AIDS. He commits suicide, and AIDS is a is a is a large part of why he commits suicide. But he also has depression, um, and so I found a translated quote of of his suicide letter that he wrote for um, a publication where it says. Due to my delicate state of health and to the terrible depression that causes me not to be able to continue writing and struggling for the freedom of Cuba, I'm ending my life. I want to encourage the Cuban people abroad as well as on the island to continue fighting for freedom. Cuba will be free. I already am. So I just want to add that in here because he did not die from AIDS. He committed suicide. And I feel like... And you can correct me if I'm wrong
0: and maybe this is not my place to speak on, but I feel like Cubans have like a lot of love for their homeland that's not necessarily patriotic, but it's like I don't I I I don't know if I'm explaining it well, but it's I can read it and like feel it through this book.
1: Yeah. And even just the so we got a chance to go to Cuba I think we've spoken on this before, which is Did what- we? I don't know. I know we've spoken together about it. I don't know if <laughs> on record <laughs> we've talked about it. But, yeah, we've definitely had a lot of talks about, like, Cuba um, and wanting to record about this series. Mm-hmm. And I think meeting Cubans well, art- and writers and artists, mm-hmm. um, we, we can definitely see the correlations between his writings and, and writings we've seen of them and their art and how they've spoken to us.
0: Yeah, yeah, and that's what I love, I love this, that's why I love this book, and, like, we were very, um, lucky to be able to do, like, a study abroad internship in a press house in Cuba, so we got to read, like, these writings of other Cuban writers that are, like,
1: so talented.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's, like, um... I, I don't want it to sound like a generalization, but yeah. there's, like, a love there for your homeland that I ha- at least haven't read before.
1: Yeah. Because even how... Oh, my God. I, I, I'm i so terrible. I guess I'm forgetting could, her name because...
0: Uh, I guess you could compare it in a way to, like, Gloria, Gloria and Saldúa's, like, Borderlands. Mm-hmm. Like, there's, like, a love for that. There's a love and a pain yeah. that comes from, like, loving that herida, you know? Yeah. Like, that that area and it's kind of in the same way like something that you can see in this book singing from the well and also like we were able to we were very fortunate to read uh, from some of the writers whose uh work we translated into English um from our internship and so it was um that's like one thing that we were like we have to record this (laughs) episode like we have to we should read like the the quintet
1: so these are basically just interpretations, I guess, of just how he felt and following, yeah, just uh, different times throughout his timeline, or er, his lifetime, sorry, um, <laughs> in, in Cuba growing up at the time. And this, so I did read that this was the only book that was published in, in Cuba, and then mm. his other books were banned and were only published outside
2: mm.
1: of, that, of the country.
0: Also, mind you, we read this book in English, and I feel like that probably contributes a little bit more to the confusion of the... Just going back to, like, thinking about the plot and, like, how this book was written, and even thinking about Cuba and, like, translation, right? Mm -hmm. Um, This book was translated into English by some dude who, like what's his name? His name is Andrew Hurley. He translated, um, José Luis Borges, um, texts as well, which I have not read the translations yet, but there's definitely, you lose some of the message, you lose some of the meaning in English when you translate from the native tongue of, like, a text. Um, you can conserve, like, some of it, right? But I feel like, I feel like I'm missing something, yeah. and I want to read it in <laughs> Spanish. Maybe, like, I would imagine we would probably be less confused. Maybe that's just me being hopeful. But yeah. um, I, um nonetheless, I, like, love it in English, so that makes me want to read it in Spanish. Yeah, because like, maybe you'll so get badly. something more out of it. Yeah, yeah. and there's maybe more... And there, like I, I remember when I was reading it, I was like, oh, this is a grammatical error. Like, oh, this <laughs> doesn't make sense. Like, this word shouldn't be here. And it, it's just, like, things that didn't read well in English. Not that, like, I, I thought of, like, how that would sound in Spanish and then, like, be translated. But no, it just didn't make sense in English. Um, but uh, we got the books in English. Mm-hmm. We'll be reading them in English.
1: But feel free to read them in Spanish, get them in Spanish.
0: Yeah. We highly, if you can find them in Spanish, we highly recommend for you to get them in Spanish if you can read Spanish. Um, because I think, like, reading it in the original...
1: Yeah, for sure. Anything. ...language
0: different. it was written in is... It'd be more true better. to how,
1: like, yeah, how he felt and what he wanted, how he wanted to portray his story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It conserves the tone definitely,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but um,
1: but we talked about feelings a lot in this book. So how did it like make you feel, or did anything like trigger something? Like how it triggered it for me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I when I was reading the book, I was thinking a lot about um, a, a lot about childhood memory. Yeah. Um, because even though the book is like set in the present, or it kind of has like this present feel right with a little bit of variation I guess but it feels like it's coming from memory mhm and it made me think of like you know same as you I grew up super poor I grew up also like traumatized as fuck and so like I it made me think of like what coping mechanisms did I have as a kid because like you can experience trauma as a child yeah but what, like, I don't necessarily remember the coping mechanisms that I used. And I think that, like, in this book, it's very obvious in the way that um, Celestino or I'm just going to call it, like, boy and Celestino. But both of them kind of just, like, leave their body, right, into yeah. this, like, dreamland every time. And it just morphs in with their reality. And I think that that's how they cope with this, like, Shitty life,
2: yeah,
0: um, and it made me think of that, it made me think of like what what were some of the mechanisms that I used to cope with a lot of like the shit that just happens to you when you're a kid and you know you grow up poor, you have shitty people around you, like how do you cope with that stuff? Um, those were the feelings that brought up for me, so it made me really interested in in memory, yeah, and because a lot of those things, like, I feel like when people experience trauma, you can either, like, try to work through it or try to block it out or be traumatized by it,
2: mm-hmm.
0: like, constantly be reminded of it. And for me, I think I, like, I've, like, tried to block it out. And so it really made me think of, like, thinking through those things, like, okay, so what did I do? Like, how was, how was I coping through this? Yeah, yeah. But, um, those were the feelings mainly that it gave me, and, um, yeah, it made me just think a lot of childhood memory.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I was also getting that vibe, because, um, they talk about Christmas a lot, Mm -hmm. and how he looks forward to it, and how I, as a child, during Christmas time, I don't know. I still don't know, I don't have an answer, but whenever I was younger, I would... I, we had this Christmas tree, this white Christmas tree that would have lights that would have the, the, the tone that would play the Christmas music, right? And I don't really like listening to Christmas music because it's very sad. And as a kid, I would cry in front of the I would literally sit in front of the Christmas tree and cry. Oh, my God. Um, and I, I still don't know, like, the reason. Maybe, yeah, it was just trauma that I was realizing or because you know, as a poor kid, we don't really get really good gifts. And I think my um, escape was just watching movies and you yeah. know living vicariously through those, through like Home Alone movies and like imagining being in a huge house and getting a lot of gifts.
2: Yeah. Because
1: you know, my mom was a single mom, so we didn't really get a whole bunch of gifts. And my cousins would kind of just like rub, rub rub it in that they're all like, "Oh, I got this! Oh, I got this!" But you know, as a Fucking little kid. cousin, <laughs> I know, right? The cousins. <laughs> But as a kid, you know, you're going to show off what you just got, of course, so I can't, right. like, blame them for that. But, yeah, it, like, brought back that memory that I, I didn't think about. But I know I don't, whenever it's Christmas time, I'm just like, oh, it's Christmas time. It's not it's yeah. not a thing that yeah. I, like, look forward to. But maybe it's because I would cry in front of the Christmas tree, and I really didn't think about that until, like, reading this book again. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah, because he has a very, like jolly, like, very idealized, um, idea of Christmas in the book, but yeah, same, same for me, Christmas was fucking awful for me, too, like, yeah, it did, we didn't get any, I didn't get any gifts, like, we were dirt poor, and my mom would actually, she would have to, like, um, Fill out applications to get like sponsored by rich families. So yeah. sometimes I would get <laughs> of like, good gifts. Like I got a big ass Barbie doll house. Like I was like yeah. flexing on my neighbors. I was like, look at me, I got this. It wasn't from our own money, but it was from like I remember looking forward to it because of that. And then one year we didn't have it, and it was like the worst Aww. year for us. Like we didn't even have food. Like nothing to like. We were really off. Like really badly um and that i but that didn't really necessarily change my image of of christmas yeah. in a way but now it's like
1: yeah it's not like i you know, don't hate christmas coming. but yeah. it's just like oh it's a holiday that happens but i like that he so gifts weren't even a thing in his yeah uh, yeah in how he viewed christmas it was more about like getting to see his cousins and his family and being able to play with them and and yeah, I get I can see how that commute because whenever yeah I think about childhood, I don't think about how horrible our cousins, my cousins were to me as a child. I think about like the the joy that it brought me to pl- play with them
2: mm-hmm. and just
1: yeah having that um, carelessness of just being happy, just you know running around and playing tag, and that's probably how he felt as a child.
0: Yeah. I think that's, like, all you have to... And, like, when you grow up as a kid with a significantly less amount of resources than the other kids around you, it's, like, um, you find comfort or, like, find a, a place to escape all of that when you're around other kids your age. Yeah. When you're just out there doing silver-tooth activities and you're just having a good time. And maybe... light bulb, maybe that's why Celestino's, like, ghost or, like, the idea of Celestino if he was dead in the beginning of the book was, like, something very close to the narrator the boy narrator because, yeah, like, how do you how do you, like, sit in the reality of you being, like, beaten daily or, like, not knowing where your next um, meal is gonna come from or, like, Hating your grandfather so much to the point where you want to kill him. Yeah, plotting to kill him. Plotting to kill him. Mm -hmm. Um, And loving your mother so much that when she hates you, it hurts. We already talked about how weirdly structured this book is. I think we've talked about that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, There's this one particular part in the book that throws me way the hell off. And it's the end. Like the end where they start having... It goes from just, like, regular text to a play. Yeah. What the fuck?
1: I was going to ask you about (laughs) that, too, because that confused the hell out of me. Same. Yeah, I have, because that's when they introduce, what, they had introduced one witch. Mm -hmm. Throughout the narration of the book. But then, whenever it gets into the play, it introduces elves and a group of witches, and then they, they incorporate the aunts. As a chorus, mm-hmm. and then the only really main actors are again just the mom, the the grandfather, the the grandma, him, and Celestino. You don't really get like clarification of who the witches are, yeah. like but where did they come from, what did they come to do? But you know what also really confused me at the end um, was. And maybe it was speaking from Celestino. Yeah, because after the play, it goes back into just being regular text. And and there's someone talking to to our narrator saying, I came to help you, and you didn't realize that I came to help you. Mm. Basically saying that. Do you remember? Yes. Well, we don't have necessary thoughts on that right now, but Mm. I want to talk about how his grandpa's the only real male figure that's in the book and why that is and he his only um i guess male um person to look up to is his mm-hmm. grandpa mm-hmm. and so that that goes into effect of the doll situation, which I don't mm. really want to get into. Mm-hmm. But um, that's the only person he can look to as to how he should reflect on how he can act like like a man. Quotation. I um, have quotations.
0: <laughs> She's doing air quotes, y'all. <laughs> air quotes.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. How do you think that affects the book or how that affects his way of viewing things? Or does that just go back into how, like, a male presence really isn't involved into like, when, you know, raising children? The
0: thing is, is... The thing is, is that none of them had... None of them had, like, a really big part... A bigger part than the grandfather. Yeah. The grandfather was the one who was, um... Mainly torturing both of these kids, or just one of these kids and a ghost. Who knows? But, um... The grandfather was the one mainly torturing them and I think that speaks to machismo and intolerance in um, like father figures, grandfather figures, especially like the older generations In I can only think of like um, my grandfather in El Salvador. Like there's, there's, they're socialized in a different way compared to how we're socialized now and... She did not fly. Like, yeah. you were allowed to beat somebody if you didn't like what was going on, if you were a man, you know? And I think that, like, the grandfather stays very true to that and reflects that, maybe the patriarchy in that way and in Cuba, yeah. I guess, or, like, the father figure or, you know, the the male figure in Cuba. And, like, of course, like, you brought up the doll situation, and I think that, like, there's also – so there's a um, – I know you didn't want to talk about it, but I'll just, like, briefly – I mean, we could talk about it. It just made me very uncomfortable, which also kind of speaks to the book in that it wasn't very,
1: like, visual or very descriptive of what happened. And it kind of just leaves you to your own imagination of, like, what, what you think would happen. And maybe <laughs> that, that was even more mm-hmm. um, uncomfortable for me because – I mean, you're left alone to think about what he did with the doll.
0: Mm-hmm. There's this part where um, the narrator, uh, the child narrator, steals this doll, and he um, acts sexually with it. Or you're led to think that he acts sexually with it because he is chased by his... Is it his grandmother? And He's chased by some family members, but I think none of them are the grandfather. Mm-hmm. And he's chased... By these family members, they're calling him Cochino, they're calling him, like, these names, calling him disgusting, and you can put two and two together, right? Like, he was doing something explicit with the doll, and there's a part in the book where he says, like, well, why is this wrong? Grandfather did this with, like, my other cousin, or, like, you know, this other, like, woman or, like, um, child girl um, figure that he had in his life that he had seen his grandfather um, I guess like do something very inappropriate with her you don't get all of the details but you get enough to where you're able to make your own ideas and assumptions and and I think that's like representative too of just how um, the entitlement of the male body right mm-hmm. and also like how children are very children will replicate what they see in real life and especially if it's something that they've seen their authority figures do yeah they think it's okay because yeah. you are the authority figure and, and that was the
1: only male figure that he was seeing so it's like oh okay if i do this it'll be okay because he are he did that
0: yeah and i think he even like besides that i think he also like took part and and this is like a trigger warning but i think he took part in like raping one of his younger cousins who, like, killed herself in the book. Like, this book, it's, like, it takes you on a roller coaster of things, but you have, like, when you're reading it, you also have to be aware enough to pick up on these things. Yeah. And there was a part of it where I was like, whoa, what the fuck? Like, the first time I read this, I didn't really pick up on this. But the second time I read through it, I I, I read that and I was like, Whoa, what? Yeah. like th- this this little kid is a kid,
1: also, because I didn't pick up on that. yeah, to...
0: yeah, it so surprise, it happened, <laughs> well. um and it's it's crazy because he's a kid, and at the same time, you don't know the age of this kid in the book? yeah, you, he it doesn't say his age, but just the way that he thinks and the way that he's doing things and his relationship to his mother and his relationship to the adult figures in the book, like, gives me an idea of, like, yeah. I, I figure... What do you figure this kid's age is?
1: Like, anywhere between 8 and 10. Yeah,
0: yeah, same. I was, like, 8, nine, ten, somewhere around there. Like, young enough to be able to make his own decisions, but also young enough to be impressionable as fuck. Yeah. And, yeah, it, it's... I think that that speaks to the importance, too, of of how... Important it is to set an example for the children that are around you as an authority figure, right, like if you're off doing fucked up shit, children are gonna think that that's, that's okay. okay, yeah, and it's okay because the person who's taking care of me is doing it, yeah, and then you know he he turns around and is like mad and beats the shit out of this kid because of like all these things, but it's your fault, yeah. <laughs> You taught him these things, so maybe parents should read this book too. <laughs> <laughs> parents and grandparents
1: should yeah. read this book. Yeah, because I think both of the, like the female leads, as in his grandmother and mother, had very passive um, roles in this book. Yeah, like you said, the the grandfather was the only like figure that was really like a. a a main character that impacted our our narrator's life to cause him to do um or cause to cause do, harm
0: onto others. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Because his grandmother, he just he his grandmother. He just really talks about her as being a crazy woman, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then, like you said, like his mom, his mom is just really passive in her actions, and mm-hmm. and we only really, really get to know her. And how he fantasizes about her being a loving mother, and then, but honestly, the whole the title of the book is based on his mother's called "Singing from the Well," and he calls back to the well a lot of times, and how he says that he thinks his mother jumped in the well, like from the beginning of the book. So basically, she's not even there.
0: Is his mom dead? That's the part that I haven't been able to really figure out. Is like. They bring up the well a lot, and I feel like the well is, like, this point of death and imagination, Mm -hmm. almost, or, like, this different dimension of, like, death. Yeah. Right?
1: I don't think she is. I think she's just to the point where, like you said, she's, like, probably depressed, so it's it's not that she's present in that moment or throughout his life. It's just, like, she's a being. Mm -hmm. And... And she doesn't have a, a reason to continue living, and she's just like going day by day,
0: well, the wall is also like in the in the i'm I'm interested in exploring this because yeah. it's not only is it part of the title, it's also one of the only things that he relates to his mother, mm-hmm. really, besides like I remember when he talks about like flowers in the book, there's a part where um somebody died I don't know if it was Celestino that died for like the fourth time and they're walking through a field of marigolds and he's picking marigolds with his mother and like marigold is like a sign of grief but also like trauma and then when he talks about the tulips and like his grandmother being angry about something happening with the tulips in the like corner of his house and then I think his mom was involved in that too like um those tulips are a sign of, like, hope, right? Mm-hmm. So he, like, he um, brings his mother in with a lot of flowers, but also with the well. And, like, throughout the whole of the story, the well is, like, dried. It's emptied out. He's, like, sent to get water at a river um, by his mother so they can, you know, drink water, do whatever they need to do with water. But when he looks at the bottom of the well, there's water in the well, and it's, like, murky water um he talks about his mother being down there at some point Celestino is down there and he is down there so I'm like what is it why why is this happening I just need to know or like what is the what is the metaphorical reason for this like well to keep popping up and for it to even be the title of the book yeah and I haven't I haven't thought about that yet Mm -hmm. the one thing that I haven't
1: Well, I haven't looked it up, but, yeah, that was another question that I meant to look up, with, with, yeah, like you said, if his mother is dead or not. But, yeah, like I said, I don't think she is.
0: No, 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 I don't think, I don't think his mother is dead either, and maybe I, that was, like, a, a premature question, but maybe it's meant to, like, speak of like, when I think of a well, I think of Like a well is a a structure full of water that you grab water from, right? Whatever, to do whatever you need. And this well is empty the whole time. The only time you see water in it is when he's looking into the well and sees his mom at the bottom of the well. And maybe the well is representative of his mother's emotional state. And maybe when he sees himself at the bottom of the well, or sees Celestino at the bottom of the well, or both of them, it's like him joining her in that same stage? Yeah. But I don't know. I want to look into it. him Yeah, like,
1: same. I, maybe we'll give you an update next episode. right? <laughs> <laughs> what did the well mean? <laughs> no, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of responses online. Um, but yeah, the only reason I don't think she's dead is because he... Constantly imagines how he wants to per- see her.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's multiple actions of just her being either aggressive or passive or not being the way he wanted to envision her. And mm-hmm. then he envisions her in his imagination the way he'd he like to see her and be affectionate towards him. Mm-hmm. And, and that's my reason as to why I don't think she's dead. Mm-hmm. Because I don't think you would have two, two ways of seeing her. If mm. if she was if she was dead already, I think he would only envision her as the light that he wants to see her. If she w- if she was dead, because he only sees Celestino in one
0: way. Mm-hmm. But at some point in the book, everybody dies, even what? he. And, and in the end, he's the one who's like told like you're eternal. Yeah. You don't. Well, get except to die. the grandparents. The grandparents die. The yeah. grand the grandpa like. Um, he, like, hits him with a hatchet or something, and then the grandmother dies shortly afterwards. And the mom dies. Everybody dies at, like, either has a fictional... Everybody has a fictional yeah. death. Maybe. Who knows? <laughs> it could just be this child living on his own in this house, like, imagining these things. The whole book could be just this, like, very poor child imagining what his life was. Yeah. And just revisiting this trauma and this empty fucking house, yeah. you know? And I love that, like, this book is confusing enough to make that a possibility. <laughs> yeah. Not confusing enough, but just, like, there's so many options of, like, of of interpretations.
1: Yeah, because then going back into authority, you know, he... In his book, of course, growing up in, like, poor, poor Cuba, you would think... um In a definitely like negative light about Castro so maybe he is incorporating that way of how he he sees Castro in his authoritative um, impulses on on and putting that on his grandpa and how he uh, puts the rules on the house and and is that aggressive towards and he can do whatever
0: you know what if the house is Cuba Let's keep digging. The house is Cuba, <laughs> fucking Celestino is the passion and patriotism for the uh, the country, and then the boy is the people of Cuba, Ooh. and the grandfather is the male is Castro, and then the grandmother and the mother are your actual grandmother. And <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's so many there's so many possibilities. Yeah so many different ways that you can interpret this book yeah. and I think that's like I think that's why too I know you said you were confused the first time you read it but I'm sure the first time you read it you had a it did or I, I won't say I'm sure but like maybe I'll just ask you did you have like a different interpretation the first time or did you notice a difference in interpretation the, from the first time we read it and the second time we read it Yeah, no, definitely. I think the first time I just wasn't processing
1: it. I was just trying to read it for what it was. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's what you should do with this book. It's Mm -hmm. like this book is meant to for you to experience and kind of go back to your feelings and how you grew up or how you interpret things in general. Uh, Because I don't think it's meant to take it as as it is, you know, Mm -hmm. because I think it's it's based off of a lot of imagination or how the the narrator imagines things. So I think it it kind of gives you that um like uh text to reflect upon and reflect on your own life. And I think that's why it made us feel so many things because I don't think a book has ever <laughs> made me reflect so much on how I grew up as much as this book did.
0: Yeah. For me, it was I don't remember the first time that I read it, but I definitely, the second time I read it, I felt more present Mm -hmm. when I was reading it. Yeah. And it felt completely different to the first time that I had read it. And it could be, you know, I could be in a similar boat as you. Like maybe I was just trying to read through it as like this linear, very straightforward thing. Like Mm -hmm. let's create a narrative and (laughs) I'll understand it. But it's, um. And and it's it's not that like jumpy, right? Like there's like there's yeah. a narrative to it, but there's so many different. You have a just think of a kid telling you a story.
1: Yeah, that's exact. Yeah, thank you for putting into words because yeah, I didn't know how to uh, phrase it, but yeah, it's definitely if a kid is just kind of jumping around. Uh, different <laughs> different timelines.
0: Yeah, because think of, like, the the most recent kid that told you a story. They don't know how to compose that story. Like, they don't know how to make sense, how to make it make sense, you know? Yeah. So, it, and this is a story told through the eyes and, like, the, the mind of a kid. Um, oh, my God. And doesn't that just speak
1: to Reynaldo Arena's artistry? Because I don't I know. think I, as a, a grown adult, being kind of just... Um, Ah, what's that word? I'm tipsy, so
0: I can't remember <laughs> the word. <laughs> we drink wines for this episode, by the way. <laughs> the kind of, you know, how you're you're
1: told to write a story a certain way.
0: You're trained. You're like
1: you're trained. Yes. Yeah, you're trained to to write a certain way, and so it kind of just becomes hard to write
0: mm-hmm. in a
1: non-linear structure. But he was able to. To as a grown man, write in in a way that a child would tell you a story, mm-hmm. and that just gives so much power to the to the story.
0: I mean, Reynaldo Arenas, as a writer too, is just an iconic writer overall of Cuba, like Cuba's shining star of a writer. He like while he was exiled, um, at at some point he came back, and for like my artist friends that, um may or may not listen to our podcast <laughs> uh, Coco Fusco did this piece on Reynard Arenas uh, when he came back he went to this park named Lennon Park and he like lived there um, and he would have these like nights where people would come and like read his poetry and stuff and they would smuggle them around the country because it was still his writing was banned from the country and maybe that speaks to like how his writings held up a mirror to to the country and to its authority figures. You know, it, people in power don't like being critiqued, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, I can't. I, I can. I can definitely imagine how like singing from the well can pass through that critique. You know, yeah. it's just this like jumbled up story. I just picture myself, or like picture. I just imagine like the the idea of this book in that date, like you saying that this was published in Cuba yeah. and then everything else was banned Yeah. and I'm interested that in mix- reading
1: the other books right yeah cause, like, cause yeah this is definitely critiquing the the, uh, the Orientes of Cuba yeah and then probably reading this and being infuriated but about everything he's writing yeah cause this is definitely probably how most children felt growing up in Cuba and just feeling that they needed to imagine another place to be.
0: Yeah, I wonder... Damn, if Reynaldo Arenas was (laughs) alive, (laughs) I would email him. (laughs) But I wonder, like, yeah, what... What... What was your source material? Like, what did you... How did you, like... How? (laughs) That's it! How? (laughs) How did you... Because this is very... And it's very true, it's a very true childlike tone. And mm-hmm. I love it. That's yeah, why I think, love it. Yeah. And I, I think it was very successful in that because it transported the both of us to our childhood.
2: Yeah.
1: And
0: I think that's so fucking cool. Yeah. <sighs> yeah.
1: Y'all, honestly, if y'all don't read any other book, read this book. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Honestly, we should, y'all, can y'all give responses as if y'all read this book? write on our Instagram and please tell us how this book made you feel even if it triggered something or made you realize something about your childhood that you necessarily didn't think about at t- since you were grown, you know? Because mm-hmm. I would really be interested because it definitely triggered that for us, you know, made us think about our childhood and made us uh, realize different things, um, but in the very same way, mm-hmm. you know, in a very similar way.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. It, it, Of course, like, you know, only taking as much as you can take. And, like, I know for, like, some people, maybe if they've had, like, I I don't know. Remember how I said people process trauma differently? Mm -hmm. And so this book may be a little bit much for some people. But, you know, you you can gauge how much you can handle and and if something interests you or not. But um, this book is definitely worth, like... Reading and and getting into just because of all of those. No. <laughs> <laughs> if you heard that, I
1: apologize.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh,
2: it's
0: funny. Um, this book is definitely worth getting into, just because yeah, it'll transport you back to your childhood um, if you had a traumatic poor childhood, yeah. <laughs> no. or even
1: if you did it, I would be curious to know if, like, this affected somebody who did, doesn't necessarily relate, but mm-hmm. maybe it triggered something else,
0: right, yeah, maybe, you know, you can be, like, an over, um, over, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, like, over imaginative child, and, or, or something, yeah. like, there's, enough like childlike mannerisms in this thing to definitely transport you back to your childhood which could be a good thing or a bad thing or it could be like a a place for reflection Mm -hmm. i know it was for me it helped me like it got me started like it got me thinking on some things and it actually helped me develop a piece which was pretty cool Mm -hmm. like that i i love that i got that out of the second time i read this piece or this book um and then for you, it just made you think of your childhood, which is, like, cool as fuck. Yeah. Um, on the back of the book of Singing from the Well, there's little excerpts of the five, like, Pentagonia books. And so I want to name them because I, we, will be, we will be recording episodes for these books. So we'll be reading the the books, and I'm just gonna read off of the back of, of this book because it has a pretty concise description of what each of these books is, um, part of the Pantagonia series. Singing from the Well is the first book. And that, so it says here, a powerful story of growing up in a world where nightmare has become reality and fantasy provides the only escape. One of the best novels ever written about childhood, adolescence, and life in Cuba. Couldn't have said it better myself. (laughs) The Palace of White Skunks is the second one, and that one, this is like a little testimony, right? That we're reading from the back. Um, A brilliant, hallucinatory, and erotically charged portrait of Cuba on the eve of its 1959 revolution. A beautiful and heartfelt book by a passionate writer at the height of his powers. Is it going to be pornographic? Who knows? (laughs) Wait until next month, and we will tell you. Farewell to the Sea, a fierce apocalyptic vision of Castro's Cuba, rich in both myth and fantasy, a major work by a gifted writer, and evocation of desperate, complex, individual, imagined lives. Farewell to the Sea could be another, like, I don't know, like, internal, external type shit, different dimensions type of story yeah i'm ready for it the assault is the next one the final and perhaps the darkest wait just kidding no it's not the, assault, the color right? of summer, no the color of summer is the next one a i can't read that word a rabelaisian. that's what I, I think that's a revelation right. tale of survival the color of summer A Revelation Tale of Survival by Wits and Wit, the fourth novel of the Pentagonia, is a passionate story about the triumph of the human spirit over the forces of political and sexual repression, Arena's finest comic achievement. I'm excited for this one. I feel like it's going to be very queer. We'll see about (laughs) that. And then The Assault, the final one. The final and perhaps the darkest volume of the Pentagonia, one of the most unique and distressing works to come out of Cuba, a dark satirical pilgrimage into a totalitarian inferno. Oh my god, I feel like that one's going to break my heart. I know, (laughs) I'm so excited, but it's like a, oh, and then we'll also be reading Before Night Falls. Yeah. And so Before Night Falls is his, his memoir. Yes. And we're also going to be talking about the movie, and that will pro- yeah. probably
1: be one one whole episode talking about the movie and the book.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a movie called Before Night Falls, and that's actually how, like, we got started in, in the whole thing. Like mm-hmm. even before we went to Cuba, mm-hmm. I had seen Before night, part of Before Night Falls in a class at the University of Houston, <laughs> and and then a, a professor came in talking about Cuba and stuff, and I remember being like so in love with the beginning of this movie. I remember being in love with this movie and I was telling Jocelyn, I was like, we have to read Reynaldo Arenas. Like, this movie is beautiful. We have to do an episode on this movie. And so we're working our way through it. Yeah. But the next book, for sure, in case you guys want to, like, read it, like, it would be very interesting. If you're, like, looking for books to read, definitely check these out. Or check um, Singing from the Well Out. I... Don't think that Reynardo Arenas is going to let us down with any of these books. I have a lot of faith. Um, the Palace of the White Skunks is, is next, so we'll be reading that one next. And we'll be recording that and posting it um, next month,
2: mm-hmm. hopefully.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so we'll be, uh, we'll be reading that and, and posting it.
1: Yeah, and if you're interested in about getting like cheaper books, we got our books on Thrift Books, which is a really good site to get books. We got ours for less than $20, and we literally got
0: 5 books. All 5 of them. Yeah. yeah. So, so, check that's out a really Thrift good Books. Site. We're not sponsored, but Thrift Books sponsor us, please.
1: <laughs> but that is a really good site to to purchase books on.
0: Yeah. And so for the sake of consistency we still have we're still trying to find our footing with mm-hmm. this podcast um I feel like the episodes we've recorded have simply been in like an exploration of how this podcast will work and have it align with our desires so um don't so, get frustrated yeah
1: just bear <laughs> don't with don't forget us. about it
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> please keep listening
1: We'll try to keep pumping out content uh, at a moderately (laughs) consistent (laughs) rate. (laughs) But with that, please read Singing for the Wild. Let us know how you feel on our Instagram at Chicas Who Read podcast. Or just Chicas Who Read.
0: It's at Chicas Who Read. Yeah. So let us know what you think. Is Celestino dead the whole book? Is he alive in some parts? Are Celestino and the narrator the same person? Do you think his mom died? How bad is his grandpa? What does the well mean? We have so many questions that we would love to hear from you and um, see what you have to say. Yeah, Thank you for listening. Uh,
1: This has been the Chicas Who Read podcast. I'm Jocelyn. And I'm Jess. Peace out. Peace out. (laughs)